Hi, my name is Soham, and welcome back to the Anthro Analyst Podcast. Over the past couple of months, we've seen how mortality rates for COVID differ significantly between ethnicities. For example, a recent report by the University of Minnesota showed that African Americans are about three times as more likely to contract COVID than other ethnicities. And what's worse, after they get it, they're at a significantly higher risk of having a severe outcome. Today, on the second installment of the Anthroanalyst podcast, we want to investigate how another marginalized group is affected, specifically the indigenous community. I've brought my friend Durje, who's a passionate political and social activist, to discuss this issue with me today. Thanks for bringing me on, Soham. So the question we've all been asking is, do Native Americans experience a significant disparity in COVID-19 outcomes? It's a great question, Durje. According to Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, Native Americans are 3.5 times more likely to be diagnosed with COVID than white Americans. And what's more, a recent article by EcoHawk says that that is a gross underreporting because the data are a national disgrace. So that's quite horrifying. Why is this? Well, of the many causes, the most prominent I can think of is the social determinants of health, like conditions, including water, housing, food, and poverty. All That's right. Oh, you can see. So, these social determinants of health can exacerbate health conditions, as we're seeing in this public health crisis, more specifically, comorbidities like heart disease, obesity, and, uh, and elderly age can all exacerbate somebody's COVID-19 outcome. So, even though we think that water, housing, food, or poverty might not be directly related to health, they're all a part of a broader network of effects that affect somebody's health. So, how does water specifically affect somebody's health? And why do indigenous communities not have the access that they deserve? Well, a clear cause is the poor public health conditions at these reservations in which the majority of them have been forced to reside. In these reservations, there's a clear lack of water, which is in contradiction to the, the vast swaths of America, of white America, that have access to clean water sources of some form. Native Americans are unfortunately not a part of this plurality, as many have their access limited to reservations like Pine Ridge, hundreds of feet underwater, to reach a source of any kind of water line. These conditions present on these reservations are reminiscent of even some third world environments. Definitely. And we often have this tendency to praise the United States as being one of the most developed countries. But as we can see, especially in these areas, many of these conditions mirror third world countries. And I think it's truly horrifying that while the rest of the country has made so many significant advances in development, we're leaving a large chunk of our population behind. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, Proper housing, which is provided to many Americans, but unfortunately not nearly enough, even in the whites that would protect them from excessive exposure, reducing bacteria, UV radiation, and even toxic exposure. That's right. And throughout human evolution, we've seen how, because of these decreases in bacteria, UV radiation, and toxic exposure, how that vastly increased the survival rate for humans, and the lifespan of our species increased drastically. However, specifically in South Dakota, that's one of the poorest areas of the country, and as a result of that, the Pine Ridge Reservation doesn't have very much housing. And while some initiatives, like micro-housing projects, have tried to come in and solve this, they haven't been very successful. And it's partly because of the large scale of the problem. Because they could be working for 10-20 years, but still that wouldn't 
do the same impact that a federally funded housing initiative would. And I actually don't think this is coincidental at all that the government chose to put uh, Native Americans in such an underfunded and such a poverty-stricken region of the country. Furthermore, although many American progressives believe that the welfare system as it currently exists uh, provides for the marginalized across our country, these well-intentioned programs actually fail to provide affordable, nutritious food to reservations because of their tendency to offer food that is not only high pro- highly processed, but also containing quite a few calories. So a couple of examples of these for our listeners are things like commodity cheese, bleached flour, high-fat milk, and things like that that the rest of the country doesn't normally eat But we find that people in indigenous communities and on these reservations have been forced to resort to it because of the welfare system. Many people don't have enough uh, side income to be able to go out and buy nutritious food because this uh, Pine Ridge Reservation is located in a food desert, meaning that although healthy food might be nearby, it's definitely not affordable for the vast majority of the population. And that becomes problematic because As we've seen after study after study, food is one of the most important determinants of somebody's health and well-being in life. Because if somebody eats a very fatty, high-calorie diet, they're likely to develop obesity and heart disease and a myriad of other conditions that all could have been prevented if they had access to affordable and nutritious food. So I think that's a very sad story that the federal government is not only complicit in this, but is actively perpetuating these conditions. And what that results in is when people do get COVID-19 and they have prior heart conditions or they are obese, then when they get COVID-19, they're going to see much more severe outcomes than the rest of society. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that the government provides uh, a lack of healthy food, but actually I think the transition from hunting and gathering to sedentary food consumption can be disorienting. So specifically, this Oblala Lakota tribe has been hunter-gatherers for the vast majority of their history, but when they were colonized and put into reservations, they had to transition to a completely different lifestyle, which came with it very different diets. And although some initiatives have tried to teach indigenous communities how to grow their own healthy vegetables and foods right at home, this form of agriculture is very foreign to them. And that's definitely very disorienting. So what do you think about that, Durja? Mm-hmm. I think altogether, all these factors that we've been discussing, the access to water, the affordable housing, the processed food being afforded to these, all come down to the cycle of poverty that Native Americans have been forced into. As this cycle of poverty limits their access to financial services that would provide them affordable housing or the foods that would require or not require them to receive any welfare benefits in the first place and reliable source of water. And furthermore, the indigenous poverty rate uh, very evidently, it's incredibly high, it's 25.4%. Which... That's right, and like you said, how poverty affects all of these other factors, but I think there is a direct connection between poverty and health as well, and that people who are poor and who are uninsured generally are not able to pay for health care. And especially in this pandemic, ventilators are very expensive, and not being able to pay for something like this, which can potentially save your life, is truly a poor condition. And what I think is... This kind of cyclical nature of poverty that you mentioned is part and parcel of how in America we have this tendency to think of poverty as not the lack of opportunity, but rather the lack of work ethic. And I think that mindset 
needs to change right away if uh-huh. we're to help people. Mm-hmm. That conservative nature of the United States government has continued for as long as I can remember through administrations of both parties. It's shown a disdain to indigenous communities, communities of color, uh, women across the nation. Really, any community of any marginalized nature has faced that kind of rhetoric and governmental uh, disposition. That's right. And I think specifically under our system of capitalism, it can be very difficult for people who are from a more uh, communal and more social society to be able to ever integrate with like the hard realities of American capitalism that you need to be able to have a job in order to survive. It's very sad that capitalism is resulting in their demise. Mm-hmm. I think the structure of capitalism is made so that marginalized communities like those of the indigenous tribes that we've spoken of, such that those their needs are not only ignored in some sense, but purposefully disposed of, if that makes sense. It's the will of the greater capitalist class. So all this that we've been talking about, water, housing, food, and poverty, all of these social determinants of health are indeed horrible. But in order to be able to address them, we need to have tangible data that we can use to direct in health policy initiatives. But I recently read an article on Science Magazine describing how there has been a systematic elimination of data when it comes to indigenous communities' responses to COVID. For example, in hospitals located in indigenous reservations, the vast majority of states don't have an option to specifically select which tribe the person is from. Like, it just lumps together indigenous people under, like, Native American slash Alaskan slash Pacific Islander. And what that results in is there is a lack of data available so that when researchers and policymakers go into their conferences, they simply don't have the data to be able to make health policy decisions. And another example of this is how the Center for Disease Control and Prevention initially denied tribal epidemiology centers like uh, UIHI access to data about testing and confirmed COVID-19 cases. And I think that's especially problematic given that UIHI is a central uh, institution needed for indigenous rights. So the CDC really shouldn't be denying these, uh, this institution access to data about indigenous people. Mm-hmm. This larger system is a continuance of a several colonial nation. As we all know, the United States was founded in the name of indigenous genocide, child slavery, and the maximization of harm towards marginalized communities This recent pandemic is no exception, as the federal government has shown even more contempt towards Native communities than the white settler class it has also evaded providing basic necessities for. As it was made a great show of in the media and the political class, Flint, Michigan, under the Republican mayor and governor at the time, had failed to provide clean water. But even as the Democratic president at the time had failed to give an adequate response, this is no uh, surprise to Indigenous communities which have always had a lack of these resources. We don't hear about these cases very often in the media. And like you mentioned about the town of Flint, like people all around the country were very quick to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And although there was like a wide public awareness about it at the time, even today we don't have wide public awareness about the conditions on native reservations, which really goes to show you the extent of their oppression in our society. I think that's a very problematic thing that needs to change. Furthermore, the whole of I- tribe has had its entire economy shut down to force the will of the stay-at-home order, which was mandated by the governor at the time, which in my view was necessary to contain the coronavirus, but the lack of uh, dedication shown towards these communities in their economy, which was relying on this mandate not being done so, their closing of their canyon entrance could be committed. Their economy was essentially shut down. 
and no uh, welfare program or additional benefits were shown towards them, as has always been the case for these communities. A very startling trend we see is that many Republican governors and mayors are very hesitant about shutting down an economy. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to indigenous communities, nobody's, at, nobody's standing up for them and saying that, hey, this is a population that's already in so much poverty that we need to allocate more funding to them so that they can get through these times. But that's just not happening. Uh-huh. And with that, I'd like to transition that it, the, the problems that you're describing aren't just in regards to politics, uh-huh. but also broader United States culture as a whole. Uh-huh. We have this tendency uh, that's very problematic of victim blaming to associate negative outcomes like health disparities as the responsibility of the groups that are affected. So what ends mm-hmm. up happening is many people of color and many indigenous communities, the blame gets shifted to them mm-hmm. for handling their own health outcomes. Mm-hmm. But as we're seeing with all these factors, like, uh, like the systematic denial of access to potable water, nutritious food and housing projects and obviously poverty this really isn't their fault at all and there we need to be looking at ourselves as how we can remedy these situations instead mm-hmm. this can be seen with the reference to black on black crime and similar uh, issues within the black community whenever any reference is made to police brutality or the subjugation of african americans within our nation I think we need broader societal reform around our society's relationship to indigenous communities and other underprivileged groups. I find myself in agreement with your statement previously. Not only that, but we also need engagement from not just the nonprofit sector, but also the public within holding the government accountable for what it has caused. There is no one policy solution that can fix all this, but we need to make some active efforts. And on that note, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And I'd also like to thank Paula Sibal, who's been a key contributor in providing us information about conditions on the Pine Ridge Reservation, and we truly appreciate her help in making these issues more accessible to the public so that we can spread greater awareness about these health disparities. Thank you everyone for listening, and be sure to return to the next episode of the Anthroanalyst podcast as we take a deeper dive into the coronavirus pandemic to examine the intersection of public health and anthropology from a new perspective.